Turn with me to John chapter 1. Epiphany did such a great job of reading that. This is my favorite Christmas verse. I know the Christmas specials and a lot of the traditional readings are out of Luke's account and some of them involve Matthew's account. But I've always just had a, a, a point of view and I just believe that it's something God just built in me. That to look at things from God's perspective, to look at things, how does God look at this? What does God want? And I've been talking to you a lot lately and we're going to hear a lot more of it from me next year of what does God want? What's going to please Him? Because I've got that con- conviction that if I begin to set my mind and my heart on what He wants, then He begins to set His mind and His heart on what I want and what I need. And the Scriptures back that up. So this is God's perspective of what He was doing when He sent Jesus into the world. And of course, that's what Christmas is about in spite of all the efforts to take Christ out of Christmas. And I want to read down through some of these verses that she read earlier, and then we'll read a couple of more. In the beginning was the Word. And I, I do this a great, it, with great concern because any one of these verses could go off in me and I'm not going to get where I think we need to get to today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He, tells us it's a person, was in the beginning with God. All things, and it's sort of obviously talking about Jesus before He came to this earth, was born on this earth. So he, you understand this, that He didn't come to existence that first Christmas, that He's always existed. He's the second person of the Godhead. What happened on Christmas is verse 14. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But in the beginning, the beginning of what? The creation of all this realm that we call reality, this material realm that is what we consider our home and we're, is that what we consider so natural to us. There was a point in time when it didn't exist and when it was created, the Word, the second person of the Godhead, the full expression of God the Father was with Him. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Look at this. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. So the creation came through Him. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. What does it mean to be the light of men? Well, have you ever been around somebody and you say, boy, or they do something for you and says, boy, it just really lit, lit, it lit, really lit me up to see that. Or that really lit them up. It means we came alive. Just zeal, life flowing through us from just sitting there being half asleep. And the light shines in the darkness. Notice it's not past tense. Shines in the darkness. And the darkness, the New King James says, did not comprehend it. But what that word means is overcome it. So the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness could not overcome the light. There was a man sent from John, God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, that's John the Baptist, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Just think of that, that little baby 
lying in a manger, being held by the arms of this young mother and this young father, everything was made by him. The incredible humility to be the creator of all and to come and to be born as, as one of your creations. And not as a ruler, as a king in royal robes in a, in a throne room, but to become a little child entrusted to a man and a woman who until that time and without him no one would ever know who they were. And they were made through him. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jews, and his own did not receive him. So he's created all things. He comes into his creation and his creation doesn't recognize him as the creator or even who he is. He came into his own people, the Jews, and they didn't receive him. But, verse 12 says, as many as received him... To them he gave the right or the authority or the ability to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of, or that literally means out of, God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, that's John the Baptist, and cried out saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he is before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom or the heart of the Father, He has declared Him. What I want to talk to you about this morning, and it's interesting because this was in my heart before any of those songs were chosen, and yet they fully fit what was in my heart to share with you this morning, is in verse 4 and 5. In Him was life, and life was the light of men, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I want to talk for a minute or so about darkness and what darkness is. We live in a dark time. There's darkness all around us, spiritual darkness, emotional darkness. The world's gone crazy. When you've got to discuss whether or not to have armed guards in elementary schools, something's wrong. In spite of all our technology, we know more today than man has ever known. In fact, if you, brought, if you looked at it on a timeline, what we've learned in the last 10 years, time-wise, is, is probably more than double what was learned before then. And what have we done with all that knowledge? How much better is life? How much safer? How much more peaceful is life today? Because man's trying to live on his own, relying on his own wisdom, apart from God. And God is the source of life. And yet in our arrogance, we think we can live 
apart from a relationship with the source of life and really be alive. The Bible says that God sent Jesus into this world. The Word, the full expression of who God is, His character, His nature, and His will, took on flesh, verse 14 says, and dwelt among us so He could be touched. Hebrews chapter 1 says that, that God had spoken through time past, through prophets. But in these days, God has spoken through His Son, who is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. He came to this earth to reveal the nature and the character of His Father God. He's the Word, the full expression of God as Father. And He became flesh. See, until He took on flesh, we couldn't see Him. We couldn't hear Him. We couldn't touch Him. We couldn't see Him. We couldn't understand Him. He'd been here. He'd visited before. He'd done things. He'd spoken through people, but they couldn't get it. And He took on flesh and dwelt among us. I've been teaching last week on seeing is not believing. And you can really understand that through these verses because He came unto those that He created and they didn't recognize Him. And He came unto His own, the Jews, who had been prepared for over a thousand years for His coming and they didn't receive Him. Why? Because He didn't come in the form that they expected Him to come. You know He's coming back again? I hope you know He's coming back again. He may not be coming in the form you're expecting. So don't become rigid in your doctrine. Don't become rigid in your understanding because they were and they missed Him. And in Him was light. Life. The life of God, the source of life. And that light was the light of man. It's what lit us up. In the beginning, in Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, God made man by forming his body out of the dust of the earth, the material substance of this earth. But he still wasn't a living being. And then it says, they breathed in him the breath of life. And he became a living being, a living soul, it actually means. It's kind of the first, it's like the first artificial respiration, except the respiration is when you breathe life back in somebody. There never was life in that pile of flesh. God breathed it into him the first time. Why? Because life can only come from God. Because he is life. He is the source of life. There is no life apart from God. In fact, the Bible's definition of death is trying to live apart from him, the source of life. And that life came into this world in a little baby. I love the old masters' renderings, the paintings of the, of the nativity scene, except, you know, they put a little halo around his head so you know who, who he is. And I guarantee you the light of God is more than just a little halo around his head. The Bible talks about light shining out of God. It's like lightning shining out of his fingers and off of his face. The Bible tells us that in the end, when God comes to this earth and establishes His throne here, that the city of God will be lit up by the glory shining from His face. There'll be be no need for a sun to rise in the morning. There'll be no need for 50, 60, 75, 100 watt light bulbs. There'll be be no need for any kind of artificial light 
Because the light that will light us up is literally the glory coming from the face of God. And this glory took on flesh and dwelt among us. It was God's gift. It wasn't just come to die. Because he could have just come as a 30-year-old man and gone to the cross and died. But he came for another purpose also. To bring that light, that life into the world of darkness. And the verse that hits me, because it's the verse we need to look at today. And the darkness could not overcome the light. Many of you have heard me teach this before. Light is the absence of darkness. Excuse me, darkness is the absence of light. When I go to bed at night, I don't go into our living room and turn off the dark switch. All I have to do is turn off the light switch and darkness is the result. But every time I ever turn the light switch on, assuming I've paid the bill, (laughs) what happens? The light comes on and it dispels or drives out the darkness. I want to talk for a little bit this morning, first of all, about what darkness is. And then I want to talk about what light does to it. And then we're going to come back to these scriptures. While we're all filmed with darkness, you just may not think about it very often. What is darkness? What does it do? I'm not going to tell you what it is. What does it create? It tends to create fear. Fear seems to be associated with darkness, and darkness is associated with fear. You hear people say, well, I'm afraid of the dark. I've very seldom ever heard anybody say, I'm afraid of the light. The light may be affecting my eyes and be overwhelming to me, but by and large, we're not afraid of it. But darkness tends to create fear. Why? Because in darkness, we'll see things, but not perfectly. We see shadows. And what are shadows? Shadows are the suggestion of something that might be there. It tells you that there's something there, and from the shadow, you're trying to figure out what it is. But a shadow is not something that's real in itself. It's the, it's the reflection, in a sense, of light passing off of something that's there. And shadows are kind of in this, in this, this, dark, this dark area where we don't know exactly what it is. And so especially to a child in that, I still can remember... In, in my bedroom as a child, I was probably five years old. I remember, and of course what didn't help is my father was a tease and he would do things like stand outside the door, the window, and go, ooh. So that didn't help a whole lot. Bless him. <laughs> I get a little bit of, I, there's a, I, I have a strain. I can be a tease. I know some of you wouldn't imagine that looking at me. But my granddaughter's picked it up. My kids have picked it up. And, uh, and I think I got some of that from my father. And, uh, and so, but, but, but this was without his benefit. I remember one night lying in my bed trying to go to sleep and I could see shadows. And I was convinced they were moving. And I was convinced there was somebody in the room. I couldn't see him, but the shadow... And so in that atmosphere of darkness, there's the shadows that are cast... And they become the atmosphere in which fear begins to grow. You begin to imagine what could be in here. And the reason you do that is because you can't see what's there. As soon as I turned the light on, I was, oh, it was just that thing I had hanging from my closet door when I went to bed. There wasn't anything at all to be afraid of. 
But when the, when, the dark, when the light wasn't there in that darkness, I'm beginning to imagine what's there and wonder what's there. And so fear begins to grow. Another thing that begins to happen in the atmosphere of darkness is it's, it's, it's a suggestion of things what might be or what might happen. And that's almost always bad or negative. Second thing that darkness tends to create in terms of an atmosphere is it tends to create a sense of hopelessness or despair because I can't see a way out. So if it's all dark, that's what people that are depressed generally don't want to have lights on in the house. They'll sit around in darkness because it fits the mood. And, 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 and darkness kind of creates this impression that, 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 that there's no hope because light tends to be associated with hope. So it creates this sense of hopelessness, no seeable way out. It's also a place to hide from what we don't want to face. We'll see in a few minutes. Some people like the darkness because in the darkness they don't have to face certain things. They can pretend they're not there. And so darkness is a place where, where, where we don't have, we can't see the truth of what's really there. It's interesting, in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10, you don't have to turn there, but there's a story we've talked about quite a bit lately of, of the fall, of when Satan comes into the garden and deceives Eve and, and Adam chooses to disobey him, or disobey God. And, and, and when God comes on the scene in chapter 3, the man's not there, the man and the woman are not there to walk with him as was the custom. The implication, doesn't say that was the custom, but the implication was that they used to walk with God in the cool of the evening. That word actually means the breezes of the evening. And God says, well, Adam, where are you? And he says, I'm over here, I'm, I'm hiding. And I'm ashamed. And I'm afraid. That's a form of darkness. He'd sinned, he'd violated God's commandment. And his reaction was to hide. God had said, if you disobey my word, if you disobey me, in dying you will die, is what it says in the Hebrew. Most translations said, you'll die. But literally it says, in dying you will die. Now what does that mean? Well, Adam didn't physically die for another eight or nine hundred years. So I thought you said he'd die. Because there were two deaths it's talking about. The first was a spiritual death, which was the separation from God. Separation from life. And separation from life is death. And so he was already experiencing death and darkness in the garden because he had to hide himself. And remember we've talked about at the end of chapter 2, it says while they were, before they sinned, they were both naked and were not ashamed. Why? They weren't even conscious of themselves. They were so caught up and aware of who God is and his light and his life that they were not aware that they did not have clothes on. And the first thing that happens once they disobey him and and separate themselves from him is they become conscious of themselves. And when they became conscious of themselves, they realized that on their own they were naked. I hope you understand this morning that on your own, you're naked also. I'm not talking about physical clothes. You're, you cannot provide for yourself. You cannot protect yourself. You cannot 
clothe yourself. You cannot do anything for yourself apart from God. And when we try to live our life apart from God and on our own, in reality, we're naked. We're exposed to whatever the enemy wants to do to us. The Bible says we're living in the kingdom of darkness. Because in Colossians 1.13, it says when you come to Christ, you're transferred out of the dominion of what? Darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So darkness is a place where there's shame. Darkness is a place where there's fear. Darkness is a place where there's, where there's hiding from things that we don't really want to look at and we don't want to face. And all of this is an atmosphere that Satan needs to work. Satan does not work out in the light. He does not work out in the truth. Jesus said about him, he is a liar and the father of lies. And there's no truth in him. James chapter 1 says that every good thing comes down from above from the father of lights. So God's the father of light and Satan is the father of darkness. He has to have darkness to work in. Because in the darkness with the shadows, he works with suggestions of things. Isn't that what he did in the garden? They had a clear-cut, straightforward, simple, direct command from God. Do not eat it. Doesn't require interpretation. It doesn't require going back into the Hebrew language and doing any exegesis of it. It just says, do not eat it. Simple, plain, straightforward. But what does he have to do to get them to violate it? He has to begin to make (coughs) suggestions. Has God really said that? And we've talked about this before. The moment she began to entertain the question she began to pull away from the light of the truth. And when you start pulling away from the source of light, you begin to enter into shadows and allow the darkness to begin to come in. And as the darkness began to come in through that door that she allowed to open, then he begins to get bolder to the point that he finally challenges and said, God lied to you. But he needed the darkness to work his work in. Now here's the, one of the dangers of darkness. We can get used to it. When you first turn the light out at night, and sometimes I've come in here and the, and the light's out, and, or, but you know, it's at home. You, it, you turn the lights out, you can't see anything. So when you can't see anything, you don't move, right? If you're smart. I, I hope you don't. I've learned that lesson here years ago once. I tried to walk through here in the, in the darkness, figuring I know it, and somebody left something right over there. And I found out they left it without seeing it. So when we go into a room and it's dark, we don't move because we can't see anything. But if we stay there long enough, what happens is because there's some light there, our eyes begin to adjust to the darkness. 
And now we begin to see, think we're seeing things more clearly. And the problem is we get so used to that that we think we are seeing clearly and we become accustomed to the darkness and we're not now looking for the light. In fact, if somebody turns the light on, it's, oh, it's hard for our eyes to face it. So in some ways, we'd rather have the darkness. Oh, it's easier on our eyes. It's easier on our eyes. Our world lies in darkness just as it lay in darkness when Jesus came over 2,000 years ago. There's more fear today, more shame and condemnation. There's more confusion. Darkness brings confusion. We don't know what to trust and what not to trust. Our leaders don't have answers. Stop reading the papers hoping they're going to have an answer. They don't have answers. They're guessing. They're guessing. They're guessing with your lives and my life and everybody else's life. They're guessing. Why? Because they're coming at it from darkness. They're trying to use man's ability, man's mental ability, to solve problems that have nothing to do with the issues that they're looking at. I'm not addressing whether we should get rid of guns and things like that, but I want to suggest to you that the ultimate issue is not whether people have guns or not. The ultimate issue is what's in people's hearts. Why are they going to find the guns to shoot somebody? Why are they doing what they're doing? Because there's darkness in their heart. There's darkness in the world. And we're becoming more and more accustomed to it. So that things 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that would absolutely shock us, we just kind of look at it and say, well, there's another one. Until it gets to a higher level of evil, and then we're shocked by that, but then we begin to get used to that until we're gradually accustomed to things that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a generation ago, the nation would rise up together and do something about it. Because darkness has settled in and we've become accustomed to it gradually. And so is the church. Now let's talk about light. I'm not going to leave you in the darkness. <laughs> Oops, time to go home. Sorry about that. No, we won't do that. <laughs> I'm out of time. No. I had to be careful. I forgot my phone, which has the timer on it. And my wife did remind me I have a watch I can look at, so <laughs> don't, be afra- don't be afraid. Well, what does light do? First of all, darkness cannot stop it from shining. We, we've got scripture for that. Plus, our experience tells us that. So when the light comes on, it has an effect on the darkness. First of all, it brings hope in the middle of the darkness. I don't know if you've ever gone through some difficult thing in the middle of the night 
Whether you wake up and there's, you're suddenly your body's in pain that you didn't have when you went to bed. Or you wake up in the middle of the night and suddenly you remember some terrible, some bill or something that's going to happen, you know, and, and you've got to deal with it. You know what the answer is. You ever notice that those things are much more difficult to deal with in the middle of the night? But somehow, if you can hold on until dawn comes, until it begins to get light, have you ever noticed those things don't look the same way to you in the daytime as they do at night? My mother's at, a, at an advanced stage. She's in her late 80s, and she is uh, st- struggling with, with dementia. And one of the things they told us they needed to do for her, which is common with patients with dementia, is in the afternoon when it starts getting darker, what happens is they begin to react. We all do to some degree, but we just have the ability to overcome it. They don't, generally. So there's medicine. They call it sundowner's medicine, which they would give her to help lift her, lift her sense of well-being up. But watch triggers that. In fact... My understanding, we got a doctor who can tell you better than I can, that, that, that when it gets darker, there are certain enzymes or chemicals released or not released in your body, like melatonin and things like that, that, that affect your sleepiness. And so our body physiologically reacts to light or darkness. Our emotions react to light or darkness. So even in a dark situation, when the light begins to shine, there's a hope that begins to come. Isn't that using the expression... Oh, there's, I see light at the end of the tunnel. What's that tell you? Hope. Because what's the tunnel got? It's dark in that tunnel. But when I see there's light at the other end, that recognizes there's a hope. So light coming into darkness gives us a hope. So if we're looking at the darkness and we're not looking at the light, it's going to affect our hope. Because our hope's not in the darkness. Our hope's not in this world or anything that this world has. That's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. So light begins to bring hope. A hope that the darkness will go away. It dispels the shadows. As a child, when I turned the light on, I realized that this thing that was on the, this figure that looked like it was on the wall wasn't a figure at all, but it was my shirt or something that was hanging on the back of the closet door. When I saw it, ah, that's all it is. And just now I wasn't afraid and could roll over over and go back to sleep because I could see what was really there, not the suggestion of what's really there. And most of the fears people deal with, especially Christians, are not based on something that they actually know is happening or going to happen. It's based on the suggestions of what could happen. Most fear, if you think about it, is a fear of something that's going to happen. It's the future based on the little bit of evidence that you see right now. And from that evidence, our mind begins to paint pictures of what's going to happen. And our fear is based on the picture, not on the little bit of facts that we already know. That's a form of darkness, of shadows. And the light is truth shining on those shadows and finding out, no, there really isn't something there. Years ago, I used to, I just was, was, I I was afraid to go to doctors. Years ago. 
And so what would happen is I'd get a symptom in my body and I didn't want to go to the doctor because they didn't want to find out what it is, as if that meant it would go away. <laughs> but these are the kind of darknesses we think in terms of. And so I tried to pretend it wasn't there, but the more I tried to pretend it wasn't there, the more I thought about it. The more I thought about it, the bigger it grew in my mind. And as I thought about it more, I became more and more afraid without really knowing what was going on. That's a shadow. It's a form of darkness that the, the enemy loves to work on in our mind. What I've learned is if you've got something, go find out what it is. Go deal in truth. I read this in a book. I've, we were studying this together with the pastors and, uh, on the staff here. That, that One of the principles of this book about leadership is truth is not your enemy, it's your friend. But to many of us, it's an enemy. I'm afraid to find out the truth. It doesn't change it whether you find it out or not. It's still the truth. But when to, until you're willing to find it out and face it, you're dealing with shadows about the truth. Like I was in my bedroom that night. Turning the light on, I saw it was a shirt and it wasn't any person in the room and I could be at peace and go back to sleep. When I went to the doctor, he ran a test and found out, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Now I know the truth. And it dispelled the darkness. So in many areas of our life, we're dealing with the battle of darkness and light. Not just spiritually going to heaven or not, but areas of our life, because Satan works in this area of darkness, of shadows, of partial light, suggestions, innuendos, things we haven't thought through clearly. Because to think something through clearly is to shine the light on it. All right. Let's look at some other things. So it brings in hope. Light brings in hope. It dispels the shadows. It makes us face what's really there, the truth. I should have mentioned this earlier, but in, in, in this talking about this, this area that Satan works in, we understand that in, in nature. There's some things that aren't necessarily good that only grow in darkness, like mold. Our house has an L-shaped house, and we have a deck on the back. And there's a part of that deck that the sun never shines on it. And every year I got to get out there because there's green stuff on it. Algae, I guess it is, or mold. And I've got, what I've learned is, is if, well, first of all, there are things that are bleached that will take it out. But it's because it's gotten wet, and the sun, oh, that's good. The sun, the sunlight never hits it. I had a carpet that was out there and it got a little bit of that on it. So I went and stuck it out in the sunshine and the sunlight killed it and destroyed it. Now, I'm gonna, the next example, just get ready ladies, So okay? There's some bugs that will only come out in the dark. I'm not mentioning any. But when you turn the light on, they scurry. Because they don't want you seeing them. Because if you see them, <laughs> in dying they will die. <laughs> they're things, they're bugs in your mind. 
thought processes, traditions that you were trained in by your parents and by their parents. Little things. My mother owns a place up in Maine on the coast, and there's a, it's the mouth of a river. And, and I was always ro- raised up, you know, it's dangerous to go out in that river. Of course, every day, there are tons of boats going up and down there. But as a little child, I was told, you know, it's dangerous to go out in because it's a very f- swift river. And as I look back, I realized her mother told her that. Now, her mother couldn't swim. So her mother based it on it would be scary to me to be out there if I fell overboard because I can't swim. So my grandmother passed on to my mother this thought, it's dangerous to go out in that river. My mother passed on to me this thought, it's dangerous to go out in that river. And I don't remember whether it was one of our children, and it probably was, or somebody visiting us. I said it to them, they said, why? I never thought of why. Because why is a click. It's when you turn a light on and you begin to examine something. Why? Because it's just that way. And when they asked, I began, I don't know why. I never thought about it. I never challenged. I never questioned it. And there are many of those bugs that are in our thinking, that are affecting us. And we're afraid to shine the light on them because they don't want the light shined on them because then they're going to go pew because they'll lose their hold in you. Light. Light exposes what's really there. What can that be? Well, it can be the truth about ourselves. Very often we're really excited to look at God dealing with other people. And we'll help him out. (laughs) But God's probably more interested in showing you some things about you. But because until you've learned to overcome some things, he's probably not going to entrust you with the assignment of straightening everybody else about about it. In fact, probably the reason you notice it in other people is because you're doing it. And the reason it's annoying you about other people is God's trying to tap you on the shoulder and say, you need to look in, let the light shine in here first before it's shining out there. Allowing the light to shine in us and expose the things in us. God doesn't want to expose those things to punish us or hurt us. It's to get rid of the bugs. It's to kill the mold is to get the things out of you that are keeping you from knowing Him more fully and completely. Anything that is in your heart or in your character and your nature that's pulling you away from Him, God wants to shine the light on so you can remove it with His help so that He can have more of you. Not to punish you, not to be mad at you, to have more of you. So the light is necessary, first of all, just to even shine in ourselves, our attitudes, the way we think. And if you'll open to it, the Spirit of God will be doing it regularly with you. I'm going through this all the time. My motives, all of a sudden, I'll say, you know, your motive for that was wrong. And I don't, you know, beat myself up. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I just change it. 
Little things like that. Continue to allow the light to shine. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His cleansing work in you, to change you into the image of Christ. Okay. But unless we're willing to let the truth shine in, He can't do that. Okay. It destroys what only lives in darkness. Fear and doubt. Truth destroys fear. Now, Jesus brought God's light into the world to overcome the darkness. John 8, 12 says, I am the light. If I was turn there quickly. John 8, 12. Give you something to do, keep you awake. Now, he just finished dealing with a woman who was caught in adultery. And all the Pharisees wanted to stone her. Oh, isn't this good? Oh, all the Pharisees wanted to stone her. And Jesus didn't argue whether she deserved to be stoned. By the way, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All he discussed with them is who had the right to throw one. And he said, here's the qualification for you, this is one of the religious leaders, to throw a stone at this woman caught in the act of adultery. He who is without sin, you throw the first stone. It says they all turned, not in this translation, not in this account, but they all turned and walked away, starting from the oldest, probably the one that could remember the most. What was Jesus doing? They were trying to trap him in darkness. And what did he do? Click. He shined the light of the truth on their motives and on who they were. He didn't do it to get angry at them. He was giving them an opportunity to repent, but they wouldn't do it. Now well, we've got to move along. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then Jesus spoke to them again and said, Look at verse 11. No one, Lord, Jesus said to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now what we see from John chapter 1 and what we see here is the light shines in the darkness, but there were some that chose not to receive it. Just because the light shines doesn't mean somebody, everybody receives it. The example I used with the children this morning is that just because somebody gives you a present doesn't do you any good. To walk around and look at the presents under the tree and say, wow, what a nice, what a great wrapping. Oh, what a beautiful job. My wife's father, would send, her family would send us a, a package every year at Christmas time because they lived in Ohio. And it was just worth opening it to see the beautiful ribbons. And he was a master at wrapping presents. But you know what? Christmas Day, the kids didn't sit around and say, Oh, Grandpa did such a great job of wrapping. <laughs> and yet, you know, so much of the world is doing that. God sent a gift. And that gift contains light and life. And they're admiring the package. Wow. He's the Son of God. 
put him in stained glass windows, do paintings of him, all kinds of everything, but open the package and receive the gift. So just because he's come as light doesn't mean, in fact, we saw in John chapter 1, it said he came unto his own and they chose not to receive him. Do you know that from the time he was raised from the dead until he was ascended into heaven, the Bible says he appeared to over 500 people and they didn't all believe? Because believing is a choice of your will. So just because the light is there to shine, you have a choice of whether you're going to receive that light shining in you or not. Not just whether you get saved or not, but once you're saved, that light continues to shine into the dark areas of your mind and of your heart and of your intentions. Doesn't it say in Hebrews that the the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword? It's able to separate the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the light shining down in there. But just because it's shining doesn't mean we automatically accept the light. John chapter 3. Verse 16. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and the men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. But but he who does the truth or desires the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may clearly be seen that they have been done in God or through God. Now we are those who have chosen to receive Christ and yet we can still remain in darkness when the Spirit shines His light on those areas of our life. But it's not just about that. It's not just that God's put His, shined His light on us. It's not just that God shined His light in the world. Because Jesus isn't in the world today the way He was in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John. Jesus is in the world today in a different form. And that's in you and in me. So the light is still here in the darkness. And the darkness still cannot overcome the light. But the only way that light can shine is if we take that light out into the world that's been deposited in us and let that light shine. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about the light that's in us and not putting it under a bushel basket because it won't be seen under a bushel basket. But when we take the bushel basket off, the container off, then those around us can see the light. We live in a world 
of darkness where people are dying, stumbling over themselves, hurting one another because they can't see the truth. And that light has been put in us. Hope. What dispels the fear and the anguish and the confusion and the doubt and the shame. All of that will be moved away as the light, His light begins to shine in the world. So this is in my heart to share with you this morning, first of all, that we should not be afraid of the darkness. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now the light of the world. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. The only thing that can overcome the light is a bushel basket. Is if we keep, if we decide to keep it covered up. Once we uncover it, it will dispel the darkness. And we're inside the bushel basket, which is our own fears, and I'm shy, I'm timid, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. That's the bushel basket we build around ourselves, because inside of that we see light. And we like that light. But that light's been in us, not just for us, because there are people outside the basket that are dying, because they can't see what they're doing, and they think it's normal. And the darkness can't stop that light. The only thing that can stop the light is if we choose to not take the basket off and let that light shine. One of the reasons why we struggle with that is because we don't want the light shining on us. Because you can't just let it shine out. It's going to shine in also. I was listening to a preacher who's been here before and he's teaching on the radio the other day. I know. And um, he said something that I remember when he was here once and said it. And it just exploded in me the other day. If you look back over the history of the church, there are times of great revival where there have been tremendous miracles and outpouring of the Spirit of God and where you attract large crowds by that. Then there have been times when the presence of God has fallen, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God the truth of God. So the interesting thing and the difference is that in a revival of, a, a, a revival of miracles, and they're certainly scriptural, that God, God wants to perform miracles, in a revival of the gifts of the Spirit, and all those things which are wonderful, they're part of the Bible, you can be in the middle of those and still be comfortable in your sin. But when the glory of God shows up, because the glory of God is the light of God, the power of God. When the glory of God shows up, it exposes everything, whether it's of Him or not of Him. And I'm sharing that with you this morning because I really believe that where we're headed next year, what God wants to do here is to display His glory. And we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice... Do we want the glory of God? See, that's not the excitement of God. Those are the miracles. The glory of God is His presence, His heaviness, His holiness. Do we want that? Because we've got to understand that that's going to expose things we may not want exposed. 
It's interesting because when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God told Moses, gather them around a mountain. This is because I'm going to come down in three days and I want to visit my people. And Moses did that. God came down in the thunder and lightning and the people became afraid of His glory and they ran away. They ran away and Moses went up closer. Why? Because Moses wanted the light of God to shine in him and to expose anything and everything that would separate him from knowing God better. The children of Israel didn't want what was in their life exposed because they didn't want to let go of it. They'd rather have their idols and their way of doing things than have the presence of God. This is not a typical Christmas message. But this is the heart of God this morning. He is the light of the world. He wants to shine His light in this place, in all its glory. And we've got to choose, are we willing to have His light shine on us? He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to deliver us and set us free. And He wants to have us for Himself. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the, the culmination of this Christmas season, and we look in your word and we realize it's a season to us. It's a season to the department stores. It's a, it's a season to our nation. But it's your heart. It's that time when you came to earth to dwell among us because you loved us so much that you wanted to have us for your own even in the midst of our sin so much that you came as your son to this earth to pay the price for our sin for our rebellion for everything we did that disappointed you and failed you everything we did that was a basis for shame in our lives you came and you gave your life in our place we come today, Father, to celebrate that incredible gift of love. But we also come recognizing the time in which we're in. That you have placed us here at a time of great darkness in the world. Just as there was great darkness in the world when you sent your Son. And you want to send us out into this world of darkness. To bring that same light out into the darkness so that others could be rescued from death, from bondages and from pain. Father, here we are. Release your light in this place that it may ignite the light that's already in us, that we may go forth from this place carrying your light into those places of darkness in the lights, in the places that are around us. And Father, for the dark areas of our own life, we give you permission today to shine the light of your Holy Spirit that we may truly be made whole and free. In Jesus' name, amen.